Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. Okay, welcome to the Brandon and Evan Show. Today we are going to talk about how you stand in your own way of your success. Yes, which we do in many ways. And uh, we're going to get into the ego a bit. And if you don't know what the ego is, in my opinion, it's your false idea of who you are. Yeah, and uh, to a large degree, that is most of what we are. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that, you know, just so we can give some people, you know, you might already know this, but just so we can all be on the same page, let's just discuss. I think that the ego is, there's the way that I want to appear to the world, and then there's the way that I actually am. And my ego is this thing that I learned about how to be a personality, how to, how to be a person. And so I want the world to see that so that they accept me, like me, love me, you know, so I can pretend I'm good enough in truth, you know, deep down. And I think this is, you know, if we're all honest with ourselves, deep down, we all, we just don't know, are we good enough? Are we whatever? So we create this, we form this ego over the course of our life and we get very prideful about it. We don't want to let it go. And then we try to it basically takes a hold of us, in my opinion, or I should say for me, I, I, what I found with it, it takes a hold of you and you want to almost keep fueling it. And you feel if you can just keep it fed, everything will be good and you'll be happy. But it's, it's this bottomless pit because it's not real and it just eats everything you take and it's never enough. You get a little bit of fame, you get a little bit of money, it wants more. Then you need to give it a little bit of more, a little bit more, and then a little bit more, and a little bit more, and then sooner or later you're not allowed, you're not able to, it just you run out. You're not able to give it enough fame, enough fortune, enough whatever, and it basically starts to bite you back. You know, it starts to eat you up, and so you know I think that you you constantly feed this ego, you constantly inflate it. You know, eventually it, it actually is what stops you. There's a there's a ceiling point. At least I've experienced that with myself, and I've I have I have observed that with others where our own self-image just gets in our way. You know, it's a it's a real pride thing. Yeah, the ego is, and we've talked about this and touched on it. And now I think this is the first one where we're taking it a more direct, shining a more of a direct light onto it as a subject. Mm-hmm. The ego is, and I'm I'm learning just how far far-reaching the ego goes. Uh, you know, I, at one point in time, when I was younger, to me, ego was simply, oh, that person has an ego. It is this thing of being boastful, of being prideful, of this false sense of superiority, all of these things. The ego now, to my understanding, is far greater reaching than that. It permeates every aspect of our lives. Our ego, as I understand it, is a protection device. And I think from what you're saying, that rings true. We create all of these things. We create this identity. We create all of these meanings in the world. This means that to me. And everything that that has been, that we've created meaning from is based on a past experience of some kind. And so 
we formulate these opinions about things, these beliefs, and we project it out onto everything as a way of saying, okay, this is what I know about the world, and it helps me to feel like I am in control of things, and that I am safe, and this and that. The problem with it is that all of those things, all the meaning that you've given everything around you, and literally everything around you, you have given some meaning to. What your relationship is to a coffee cup, what your relationship is to a couch, what your relationship is to your clothes, whatever it is, it doesn't matter, just pick out an object, you have some sort of a relationship with that thing. Mm -hmm. Based on your past, based on your experience of these objects, of other people, of other relationships up to that point. And none of those things are necessarily true. No. They're things that you have told yourself are true based on your experience. However, as we can pretty easily suss out for ourselves, not everybody looks at everything the same way. No. <laughs> Nobody looks at everything the same way. Everybody has their own relationship with all of these same things. So, in that sense, everything that you think is not true. Mm -hmm. And that's what your ego does, and it has a lot of, it, it has a lot of very deep effects because of that. Well, and you touched on something there. I think the ego wants you to believe that you know stuff. It wants you to believe that you have the truth, that you have the answer, and that that knowing makes you feel safe. Because to live in a world where we don't know anything, where it's chaos and we really don't, we, we, we don't know anything for sure, is kind of scary, right? And people don't want to be scared, so they'd rather know. And that's why we embrace the idea of having this ego. Because if I know something, then I don't have to worry about it anymore. I don't have to think about it anymore. It's just easy. But if I don't know it, then I have to question it. I have to wonder. And because thinking and questioning it can be challenging um we i think what we tend to do is we we try to just say yeah i know this so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna question that anymore i'm not even gonna wonder about it anymore and we slowly cure, kill off curiosity yeah and i think as you and i talked about before art is greatly based on the fact that we are curious you know but if we're not curious art ceases to exist and i think that you know, um, and I want to get into this topic of the self too, you know, and, and what that is and, uh, you know, my understandings of that, but the ego, it, we need it in the sense that we need it, uh, to carve ourselves out of the world and see that, Hey, I'm different in some respects than this other person, than this other thing that I have some sort of identity that I've crafted and made on my own. So in that sense, the ego is actually good because I think sometimes an ego can get you through certain things that, you know, if you didn't have it, you, you wouldn't know how to do it. Like, um, there can almost be a blind boldness to it, you know, a, a certain sense of like, I am this person so I can do this thing. And the thing is yeah. you made that up, but because you made that up, it was actually an empowering, an empowering fantasy that you lived out and actually worked you yeah. know, in that respect. But the ego can only take you so far. Yes. That's, and there are certain areas where it does not have a suitable strength. And that's also where the ego will tell you that it has a strength because it's the thing that's been in control. 
this whole time. Mm -hmm. So to, to question it is to kind of question yourself and it brings up all sorts of thoughts of being threatened and being in danger. And there's a lot of resistance that's built around that. Well, yeah. And I think that, you know, people feel in danger about the silliest things, you know, dancing in public, we feel in danger. Yeah. You know, and you think dancing in public, can nobody like, like, okay, well, at least if you live in Canada, <laughs> live in Vancouver, if you go dance in the street, people might point, they might laugh, they might do whatever, but you're not going to die. Nothing's going to happen. You know, one's going to hurt you. No one's going to imprison you. As long as you're not hurting anyone or whatever, or doing anything too offensive, I suppose you're fine. But we're scared to even move, you know, to even physically do anything other than walk in a straight line and be cool. You know what I mean? Your ego wants you to be cool all the time. And so by being cool, you literally limit your self-expression. And I'm going to keep saying this word self. Self-expression is actually more what's the truth inside of you. It's something that is, is deeper down, but your ego covers that up and it wants to hide it because your ego is trying to make sure that you fit in with the external world, the way that you've experienced, the way that you've seen it. And we're scared. So when someone has actual self-expression, which I believe is actually the, probably the cornerstone seed of art. If anyone has that, it's scary to us if it goes against what we know to be normal. Yet when a person is not scared, we almost idolize it. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing because in a way, like I think you see these, for example, you see some of these really great actors or great artists and they will do something and you go, wow, like they're just so great at it. And at that point, they have no fear about their self-expression or at least they're not letting their fear run the show. And we look at that as almost it's, we project, it's just their ego in a sense. It's, it's just them, but it isn't really the, the truth of your self-expression. I think you're going to talk a bit about Meisner and I think Meisner's whole thing, at least from my understanding of it is actually to let go of your ego so that your self-expression actually just comes out. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is part of the reason why I love, I love the work so much is in some ways the, and Meisner is a vastly misunderstood technique or form of training. I struggle to describe it to people who ask what it is. You know, I can tell you on a purely technical sort of level as to how it is performed, how it is done, but the effects of it are a little bit more in its purposes. It's a bit more of a long-winded conversation. Mm -hmm. However, it does, what it does is the repetition, anyone who knows anything about Meisner, if you don't, there's this exercise that continues to grow and, and evolve. And it's this thing called repetition where basically you have two people repeating things to each other and it changes and it, you know, what they're repeating to each other. Uh, the essence of that, that's not necessarily even what's important. What it is, is that it, in some ways it gives your mind, it gives your ego that tr something to do. Hmm. And at the same time, it allows that self to actually come out. Mm -hmm. For example, the first, the first step in repetition, the very first thing that you do is called taking the first thing. And it's very interesting. A lot of Meisner teachers actually skip this step, which I think is a big mistake <laughs> because there's a very valuable lesson in it. The first thing is basically you have two people sitting across from each other. And one person looks away 
from the other person. And then I will give a very clear indication. I'll snap my finger and I'll say, go. And that person who's looking away turns their head back to their partner and they say the first thing that physical observation that comes, comes up. Right. Like Like you're blushing. Like, yeah, it could be that or, or blue shirt. Yeah. In fact, you don't even say your right or anything. It just, but right now you're wearing a blue shirt. And if I turn, I saw, I just go blue shirt. Okay. And you would respond blue shirt, blue shirt, blue shirt, blue shirt. It's a little, it's nonsensical. It doesn't really mean anything. Right. However, the interesting thing that happens is that most people, almost everybody who does it, they'll turn their head and they'll take a second to look at the person and pick something. Hmm. And the point is you take the first thing Hmm. and it happens very quickly. And it's an important step because it gives you your first encounter with the ego mind because it's there. And, but we don't even necessarily recognize that as being ego mind because basically you're turning and you're, and you think that you have to come up with some sort of an intelligent, some sort of an insightful thing to say, mm-hmm. even though it is kind of nonsensical. That's the ego, right? The need to come up with something. The need to come up with something, but we don't necessarily recognize it as that. It's like, oh, okay. But we're also saying like, okay, I want to do this exercise, right? I want to, you know, I want to say something that's good. I don't want to say the same thing, you know, that was just said. And that's not the point. It doesn't matter if you say the same thing three times in a row, Mm -hmm. you know, for every time that you look over and if I said blue shirt, and then the next time I did it, I said blue shirt again. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. That's not the point. The point is, is that there's this part of your brain that is trying to do it right. And we're saying, well, there's not really anything right. There's the trying to get it right is actually going to work against you in this situation. Mm. You have this part of you that is trying to control what's going on. And that in acting, that has very deep effects. And through this very simple exercise, you realize just how, like, if it's affecting you in that stage of the game, where literally you're not even saying words to another person, you don't have any dialogue, you turn and you say the first physical observation that comes to your head, and you're already trying to control and manipulate yourself Mm. in order to appear a certain way, in order to appear like you know what you're doing, in order to appear all this. And normally we get past this stage pretty quick yeah. in the Meisner work and we start to, to move from there, but it's important to do. And it's really quite mind blowing because you go, wow, I have this part of me. That's really, even though this is so simple, this is so basic. I'm on the soapbox here right now. Yeah, no, it's good. <laughs> Keep going. But you, you get that first experience with, with how this thing is affecting you in this way. And if it's affecting you here, then it's affecting you in your work on stage, because that means that you're trying to control all sorts of other things. You're trying to control how the other person is going to do something. You're trying to control how you're going to appear. So the idea is you need to stop thinking about all of that stuff, but we are thinking about those things constantly. Mm -hmm. 
You know, that's uh, the whole thing about control is so interesting. Uh, realizing, I think where where artistry comes into something which is really beautiful and surprising is when you let go of control. You know, uh, and I think we spend a lot of our life trying to control things, and it makes sense that we would do it because with us, when we feel we're in control, we feel safe. And I think that you know, deep down in our you know, our animal part of our brain and our caveman side, we always want to be safe and we always want to feel secure. We want to feel okay. And so we are going to create scenarios in our life to feel safe. And so, you know, um, the, the, the reality though, is that we don't control, you know, we don't control so many things. I mean, we can try to prepare, we can, we can prepare for the world. We can anticipate, we can become aware of what can happen and anticipate, but that still doesn't mean we're in control of it. You know, um, for example, you know, I can, in my place, I can put water to the side, some canned food to the side. Um, you know, I can do whatever I need to do, but if an earthquake happens and, you know, power goes out and I lose water and I lose this and, you know, whatever, if there's, you know, there's certain things, if there's a fire in another part of the building than mine, I mean, I don't control that. You know, I can have an influence on it, but I don't control. And I think if we looked at the vastness of what we don't control, we would, we would, you know, there's a certain point, um, and I, you know, I say a lot of philosophy, but there's a certain point where a human being will hit a point where we realize that there's, so, it would take so much work to try and control everything that it's so pointless that you get to the point of acceptance. And once you get to the point of acceptance is when you become open and you become flexible and then you become you know, more value-based because you start to look at, okay, I'm going to accept everything the way that it is. I get that. I understand that I am not the master of the universe. I don't control everything, but I do control myself in the sense that I get to choose what I want to do and how I want to be with certain things. But, and even then, you still don't, but, (laughs) but then you start to be more value-based because you start to go, well, I've accepted everything is, but what's really important to me. Now I'm going to put a lot of effort into making sure that that is taken care of and that's prepared for. But for the most part, I mean, you know, things are going to happen. You know, the other thing too is like uh, in, a, in an acting scene, you don't know what your scene partner is going to do. You don't know what the director is going to do. You don't know what the cinematographer is going to do. I mean, especially if you're an actor, you're so much more at the whim of everybody else. And so if you're worried about all that stuff, you know, if you're worried about the shot they're doing, if you're worried about, you know, what your scene partner is doing or how, you know, how the scene is supposed to go or any of that stuff, you're, you're not connected to the moment and you're not open to something happening that none of us know about. And so, yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, the, the, the sense of control that we desire is part of why our ego runs the show. Yeah. I mean, and in art, it does require a leap of faith in a lot of ways. Like it's, and it is so that this, uh, this more of this true self, and we, we can talk about it that way. I like that actually. The true um, self. The yeah. true self to, to come out. The only thing, the, the ego is so resistant to that because it doesn't know what that is. You know, it doesn't really know what that thing is going to do because the true self does not have the same attachments as the ego does because the ego is trying to, like we said, to control all of, all of these things. It's trying to control almost all aspects of our lives to feel safe, to feel comfortable. And it has its place, but it has a very, we don't realize, I don't think for the most part that, that what that place is. 
you know, and it's not very much of one. <laughs> no. It has a place, absolutely, but it comes in and it and it tells us that we need to, like you said, control all of these things, which we actually don't have any control over at all. And what that does is it builds up a lot of fatigue. I mean, it's exhausting to do. It oh, makes yeah. us very angry as people because we're trying to subconsciously control our universe that we have absolutely no control over. And you don't think you're going to get angry about that. I mean, because things are not going to go your way. Yeah, so of no. course you're going to get angry. And like you're in traffic and someone cuts in front of you and doesn't use their blinker or whatever. And you get angry at that. But it's like, guess what? You didn't control that. You know, your, your sense of anger predisposes that you had control over that, which you don't. And you still don't, even when you're sitting there angry in your car and you might say, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure they know. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. It already happened. You know what I mean? Now you get to decide how to react to it. You don't, but I think we believe that in our reaction, we somehow controlled the moment that already happened. We didn't. We're just reacting to a moment that we had no control over, trying to regain some sense of control, which we still have no control over, and trying to force something, you know, and it just doesn't work. I think it's, I think that it's kind of funny, you know, like how we don't even see the fact that we're so out of control <laughs> Yeah. that we, we, we try to regain control. Like it's like, once you get to the point of acceptance, you realize that you're in a car that's sliding sideways down the side of, you know, this wet highway and it's just going the way it's going and you can turn the wheel and you can press the brakes and you can look at everyone else in the car and yell at them, but you're still sliding. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? You can try to do something about it. You can deal with the fact that you're sliding. Maybe you correct the car and you get out of it, but it never changes the fact that you were sliding, you know? And the fact that you're sliding is not a problem. It's just happening. You know what I mean? Uh, let me share. Okay. I know I'm kind of going off here, but yeah, there is yeah. a moment where I remember I was driving my dad and I was, I, I mean, I was a teenager. I don't know, but, uh, we were driving and, um, he's, he's a fantastic driver, but I remember we're coming down this hill. It was a bit of an S turn. It was a hill and it was turning to left. It was sideways. Right. And as we're coming down where he's in a Mustang, which is rear wheel drive. And uh, if anyone knows anything about Mustangs, they have very light back ends because the engine's in the front and they're rear wheel driven, which means that they can slide out very easy. Yeah. But anyway, um, we're driving along and he's going relatively pretty slow, you know, not too fast. It's snowy out. And all of a sudden we hit black ice. And I remember this because I was a passenger and I had no control over this moment. I was just, and I felt the slide and we were sliding towards a car because it was a downward, um, hill and the only direction we were was going towards this car and I remember him turning towards the car and hitting the acceleration not the brakes and you could feel it and I was like and I remember watching this and observing it and what he did was by hitting the acceleration and turning towards the car he regained control and he was able to turn away from it had he tried to turn away from the car and hit the brakes we would have hit it yeah because the the physics of this you know so there's an awareness that he had of the moment where he realized, okay, I've lost control of the car. This is how I'm going to try to regain control. He's not, he never got angry. He never got upset. And I I remember talking to him afterwards. I go, I was, whoa. I was like, I thought we were going to hit that car for sure. And he kind of explained to me about why it's important to just be calm when shit's going down, you know, excuse my 
Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? Like, that's the thing is like, we can get all upset about it. Oh, I'm sliding. I'm going to hit this car. And then you can hit the car and you can get upset about that. But the thing is, is like, what are you going to do? Life, life is sometimes going to be in a slide and you're just going to have to deal with it, you know? And you might as well be calm and accept you've lost control and try to regain a certain sense of control within that lost control. Yeah. You know? And, and, uh, I, I like sort of the metaphor. You always have such a fantastic metaphors. Um, <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> and I was, I was going to propose maybe one of my, my own, uh, in terms of what the, of the true, of the true self and the ego self and in terms of, of what they do. And, you know, the, let's say you're, you're on a hike, you're on a mountain, you're a mountain hike, you're climbing through, or you're just hiking through the mountains and you have this path. It looks like somewhat of a path that's ahead of you, but you can't really see exactly where it goes, but you see that there's a path and that's kind of what the ego does, but it has a very short sighted things like, Oh, we'll go down here and it'll, it'll, this will take us to somewhere really, really amazing. And we'll, and we'll go down this way. The true self wants to go off the path. It wants to go and explore and it wants to go and discover. It wants to discover something new and Mm. see what happens. It's this part that is embracing and looking for new experience. The ego wants the safe thing to do. Predictable. Something that's predictable. The problem is is that you can follow the ego because it, it looks, it looks safe. It's like, oh, well, the ego is pointing me to this thing where it looks like there's a path, right? But the thing is, is that it, you, if you start down that path, that could actually end up somewhere absolutely horrid. It could, because you can only see so far mm-hmm. down that path. And you could, it could take you into, I don't know, some kind of a murky swamp, or even if it does take you to some sort of a nice clearing, the ego still there saying it's like, Oh, I thought there was going to be something a little bit nicer here. This is pretty good, I guess. So it always still ends up in disappointment, mm. right? But it, and there's no real guarantees with that, or it just gets super angry because it shouldn't have gone into this swamp, right? Yeah. You, there's a promise, you know, that I was supposed to be led somewhere you know, there's this uh, hike, I'll use another metaphor since we're on the metaphor run, but there's this <laughs> hike uh, over at Bunsen Lake um, over in Port Moody. And um, you can take the low road, which is basically you walk around the lake. There's a mid road, which is basically like you hike up a bit and you get a bit more of a view. It's, it's, there's less people on it and it's, um, and the, and the, and the track, the trail is less worn. And then there's a trail that's very like not worn very much at all and you can go way up into the mountains and you can climb the highest peaks and look over the whole city and then climb back down obviously the one that's traveled the least is the hardest and the one that's traveled the most is the easiest but I think what you know in my analogy here the way I describe it is the ego tends to want to always take the easiest path it's always going to want to do the one that that seems worn that seems predictable it seems like it works and I think that in a certain sense, that's probably pretty good. You know, I think we're intelligent beings. We should always consider doing things as easy as possible. Why do it any harder than it needs to be? But when it comes to the realization that if I walk the harder path, I'll get a greater reward. Sometimes people will tell you don't walk the harder path because the harder path 
we don't know what's up there. You know, there's bears up at the top of the mountain. And if you're around the lake, you're probably pretty fine. There's so many people, like animals and stuff, you don't have to worry about it. But if you go up top, you need to be a little bit more prepared. You need, you should have bear spray, you should have a flashlight, you should have a hunter's knife, you, or something, or whatever. You, you should have a few things. You should have a lot of water, because um, getting up there, you could get quite dehydrated. It's going to be a lot more effort. So, the ego basically says, if you're ill-prepared in life, you're always going to go with the ego. Because if you're ill-prepared, you're not going to have enough water, you're not going to have the knife, you're not going to have the things that you need to survive on a harder path. But if you look at your life as a preparation for greater things, when the path splits and I get the chance to, to go where I want to go, yes, it will be harder, but I will be prepared. If you're prepared, the ego will not guide your decision. But if you're ill-prepared, you'll always go with the ego and you'll always get the lesser result. You'll, you know, it's a beautiful walk around the lake, but I'll tell you, if you hike this trail and you do the hard one, if you do the upper path, there's, it's one of the best hikes I've ever done in BC. Yeah. It's amazing and it will take your day, but it, it, when you get there, it's breathtaking. And yeah. the experiences that you have along the way are so much more diverse and interesting. There's these little pocket lakes up there. There's, you know, um, all sorts of, you can get lost on the trails because they wind around and they spin around and yeah. stuff. It's, it's more complex. It's more interesting. When you get to the actual top of it, it's, uh, there's no more trees. It's just rock now because you've actually gotten above the point where, you know, the oxygen actually gets so low that the, the green doesn't grow so high. You get to see a different kind of experience. So I think when people look at their dreams, you, if you just say, you know what, I don't care. I'm just going to be ego my whole life. Well, you're probably never going to realize the vision of your dreams. You're going to at some point have to step away from that and be prepared to walk a path that not everyone walks. If you want these things. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, the ego is saying like, go, just go down this path and, 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 you know, the right things should happen. Meanwhile, there's all this incredible stuff that's all around you that, that your ego doesn't even want you to look at, mm -mm. you know, because that's just far too scary to do it. And if you follow what the ego says, we're going to be okay. But typically it like the ego doesn't know either. No. That's the problem is the ego doesn't know what's going to happen either, but it wants to think that it knows. So in the end, you should go for what sparks you. What really, what really actually calls out to something to that true self of yours. You know, that's something that ignites something inside you mm. that says like, let's go this way. And then that's usually when like, you know, I'm just like, whoa, whoa yeah. uh, hold on, hold on. We've never done that before. Yeah. We've never done that. Like, and we don't know what's going to, we happen. don't know what's <laughs> going to happen. And you know, there's can be a, a measure in which you go, it's like, okay, all right. We don't know what's going to happen. We can maybe prepare as much as you can, but eventually you've got to step out there. Yeah. You've got to step out there I, in acting. And I, I talked about this in, in uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I was talking to this actress who was having some, some difficulty doing auditions and, and stuff. And, and it was very much a, a similar type of thing. And, and again, this is such an issue I find, um, within acting is that people come, a lot of actors are, are trained technicians, you know, they're, they're trained to, you know, you break down, the scene and you, you know, you find out, you know, okay, what do I want? What is my, you know, my deepest drive and what's my obstacles in this scene and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I've never, there is a place for that. 
Absolutely. But it's never, that's never been a way of working. That's, that's excited me as I discovered, like that doesn't, that doesn't compel me breaking down a scene that way, or it, I'm, it never allows me to connect to anything. So the problem is, is that you can do all of this planning, but then you step out, whether that's in an audition or in a scene, you don't know what's going to happen. And that's the problem. Like you can, you can let your ego run the show and say, it's like, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to do this. And then we're going to do this and then we're going to do this and it's going to be great. And then you get there and then now you've got all kinds of things that are coming at you that you can't plan for, you can't prepare for, you couldn't possibly know that these things were going to happen. So the best thing for you to be able to do is to be open to the unknown happening. Yes. Okay. So I have a few things to say here. Please. So, um, the best acting teachers that I've experienced who do the type of work where they talk about what's your, what's your obstacle, what's your relationship, all this stuff, they help you break down the scene. They always say this and they always say, now let it all go. Let it all go. It's not going to serve you. It's not going to do you any good anymore. And you're like, wait a minute. If you really embrace the idea of what they're telling you, it, it, they're, they're absolutely correct in my opinion, because now there's, there is, there's no safety net anymore. There's no parachute. You're falling. You, you, you got to deal with it. But the, 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 the work that they're talking about is about building a sense of awareness. Yes. Now this relates because you've been mentioning the true self and I want to kind of discuss my idea of how the true self relates to our ego. So our ego is always kind of, I mean, basically we're born. So from what I understand, actually, when you're born, you're out of the womb, you know, you actually cannot tell a person from the background, from anything. All you see are colors and blurs, like nothing makes sense to you because you don't even know what a thing is yet. Right. So it takes time for your vision to start to learn to focus and to start to see, oh, this is a person. And then this thing is a background. It's an inanimate object or whatever. And you begin to start to understand the world. So we forget about that. That's, that's what's happening. And then we start to realize at some point that actually, wait a minute, I'm something too. I'm a person. I'm this thing. And I have this physicalness. And if I bump into something, it hurts. And we start to experience our body. So we begin to become kind of aware. And then through this awareness, what ends up happening is, instead of continuing on with this awareness, we start to realize the world's dangerous. So we develop a form of ignorance, which is ultimately our ego. So this right. is where my whole and thing... And we're also told things that are dangerous as well. Which aren't true either. And they're based on other people's projections and observations and whatever, but we take them on as there are truth, even though we haven't experienced them. So now you've developed this ego, this idea of who you are and who you're supposed to be. And what we need to do in life and what we will do eventually, you know, is you start to, you, you, you start to have self-awareness, which is where you actually move beyond the ego. It's, it's, you go from a stage of ignorance to self-awareness where you bump into the world somehow and you become aware that something works the way it does. For example, um, I'm going to get on a soapbox here, but for example, you, you, you get in a relationship and then you're in a relationship and you find out that the person you're with is attracted to someone else. Now, when you're a young kid, this can be, this could be maybe pretty devastating. Just the fact that they are attracted to someone other than you, but they're with you and you go, wait a minute, they're only supposed to be attracted to me. I don't know. I'm just yeah. giving an example, right? So this gives you a certain self-awareness that, hey, wait a minute. Um, 
I'm not like, I'm not this ego. I'm not this thing. I'm not this one and only thing for this person. I'm actually, you know, there's actually more to this that's out of my control. So self-awareness is realizing that you are something and that there's certain things you don't control. Self-actualization, which is the next stage. So I'm just going to quickly run through the stages from my understanding. There's ignorance, self-awareness, self-actualization, self-realization, um, true self, and uh, idle self, your idealized self. The way it works is you're ignorant, then you become self-aware. Once you become self-aware, you have a chance to do something about it. So you you start to actively do something. This is your actualized self. If you become someone who's not just aware, but practices doing something, you start to actualize yourself in the world. By taking action, you actualize yourself in the world. You're proactive. Once you do that enough, you become self-realized, where you do it by habit. You don't have to think about it anymore. It's something you just do. So now you're self-realized. What ends what's up happening is you become self-realized in, there's probably infinite amount of areas you can become self-realized in, but you become realized and realized and realized. Then there's the true self, where you actually, you've become realized in an area, but you get truthful. You start getting honest with yourself about what do I really want? What do I really care about? You know, what, what's important to me and does what is important to me really matter? You know, you start to question, you become more truthful and more honest. It's not so much based on what your parents told you, what teachers told you, what the world told you. Then there's the idealized self. Now this is the confusion. People actually believe that they can be their idealized self. It's an ideal. It's something you pursue for the rest of your life. It's not something you ever achieve. It's, it's this infinite stage of self-growth where you constantly pursue becoming truthful in all areas. Like if you were to become self-idealized, you, that would mean you, you were your true self in every single facet and area of your life. There were no room for growth anymore. So the idealized self is not it's not a possibility. What it is, is a product of the mind. It's this part of your mind that goes, you're not done yet. And that not done helps you breathe. It helps you live. It helps you want to keep growing. Because if you stop growing, you just start dying. So basically, the true self is this thing that we tap into, I think, in areas. You know, we, we become more truthful. And, and the more that we, we do it, right? The more that our art becomes better, the more we leave our ego behind, the more we accept that things are the way they are and we're not in control. And the more, like obviously, with the true self is a very aware person. It's very aware of who am I in relation to this massive world I don't control. That's, that's how I see the whole process. Yeah, and, and how do I fit into it? Yeah. The self-idealized, that's an interesting concept. I think I understand what you're saying with that. I mean, for me, when I, I hear that there, there is a risk to me where you say, it's like, well, having an idealized self. And I think that's why there's the, the whole element of, you know, the self, like the, the true self that you, you find before that, because otherwise an idealized self is probably being created by the ego, exactly. which is not the true self, which is not your actual ideal self. It's just, in, it's just a concept of what it is. So the true self is important in, in discovering and, and coming to because that, that guides you through the rest that guides you. And it's not, 
necessarily like, okay, I, I have to reach this thing because again, that can sometimes just be like, it's just an idea of, of who you, who you should be per se. Right. Whereas the true self, the true self can guide you and the true self can further you into your own sort of evolution. <laughs> well, it's, I think it's like a, it's a little bit like a circle in the sense that when you were born in a sense, you were your true self. And, but the, the thing is, is that there's this paradox is that even though you're your true self, you have to go through ignorance and ego to actually understand what your true self is because ego is this beautiful thing in the sense, and this is why it's good is that it treat, teaches you that even if the whole world is connected and we all are one, even if that is the case, that you in and of yourself have this experience of being separate from the world in which you can make decisions that are your own. That that's the one thing that you can control when you're a little infant baby, you don't really realize that you control anything. You're, you're just kind of, you know, you're just kind of figuring it out. You know what I mean? So the, so you almost have to go through ignorance and ego to come back to the self-truth. And like, I, I actually think that people don't aim to become like their, their true self. They just aim to become closer to it through an idea of the idolized self, you know, and you just become self-realized in as many areas as you possibly can and understand that you have your ego and you have your true self and that your ego is a, is a made up thing. Then your true self is something you're uncovering and that's it. It's not like you ever know your true self. It's not, it's, you don't even know your ego. Like, you know, when I think about myself when I was younger, I used to think of myself as a certain way. Now I think of myself as a certain way. Now, either way, it's still my ego. It's still a made up idea of who I think I am because you know, I've also played characters where people go, wow, you look entirely different in that role. And it's like, well, that's a made up self. That's just another ego I tried on. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think the true self is realizing that you could be many, many egos and you're just choosing today to be this ego, even though you realize you could be anybody. And, and the thing is, is I think that we, the true self is someone goes, well, what's the best ego I could wear? Like, what's like, it's like a suit. It's almost like, what's the best way I could present myself right now. Do I want to bring, if I go to this social event, do I want to bring charisma, excitement, and energy? Do I want to bring depth, um, sophistication, whatever? You can bring whatever you want. That's still your ego, but the true self realizes that you're choosing. The ego doesn't realize you're choosing. That's the difference. Ignorance doesn't realize it. Actually, you believe you are this person and you were born that way and you just are this way. Like, for example, if someone says, things never work out for me. You know, I'm just a, I'm just a down person. I'm a pessimist. No, you're not. If you can say that you're a pessimist, that means that you could choose to be an optimist. But the very fact that you say you can do one thing means you could do the other because you know what both are. So all you're telling me, if you say you are this thing is that this is the ego I choose. Now the true self is aware of that. An ignorant person is not aware of that. So if this is the first time you've ever heard this, don't look at ignorant, like a negative thing. I'm ignorant in so many ways. It's stupid. And everybody is, everybody's, <laughs> right. we're all ignorant. So <laughs> what I try to do is I just try to admit where I'm ignorant. Actually, I want to look for where I'm ignorant and I want to admit that I'm ignorant because the more I admit that I'm ignorant, the more that's going to help me be self-aware and then self-actualize and self-realize and then get closer to this truth. 
if I'm someone who's prideful and says I'm not ignorant, then I'm in real trouble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the beauty to me is that the true self is never gone. The true self is, is always there waiting for you to uncover a little bit more of it. Yes. And like what you're saying with the ego where it says, Oh, am I going to be this? Am I going to be, am I going to be that? You know, it's, it's all still this grand illusion that's projecting. It's not, it's not a true self. And, and it's all again to achieve some kind of result, which it actually cannot guarantee. It's making a decision based on, again, past experience. Like, okay, well, if I act this way, people will really like me. People will respond to me that way. If I go to this party and I'm like this, well, no, you're not. And the thing is, this is, this might sound a little bit crazy to people. It's like, oh, I don't plan how I'm going to be. And it's like, you actually do. Mm -hmm. You do. You might not consciously be aware of it, but it starts from like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in the shower before I go. You know, and, uh, oh, what am I going to drink? Maybe I'll bring wine. Maybe I'll bring a bottle of wine. And it's like, this is all part of like, cause mate, do you even really want to drink wine? Like maybe you don't, yeah. maybe you don't want to drink at all, but you can't do that. No. Well, why can't you do that? And it's like, well, if I'm not drinking, then people will think this of me. It's like, why would people think that of you? Or, you know, maybe they, maybe they would, but why do you care? Because that's all kind of that's all kind of nonsensical as well. So it's all about this thing about, oh, how are people going to judge me? Mm-hmm. How are people going to be judging me? We're in this constant, and this is another ego thing as well. It's in this constant state of feeling judged. Constant state of feeling judged. And that goes for every single interaction that we have with other people, even with ourselves we're constantly judging ourselves and seeing how people are taking us in and then putting more judgment on ourselves. And then the ego tries to, you know, correct the course (laughs) and, and figure it out. The thing is, is that the ego doesn't really know how to do that either because, and, and in my experience, when it comes with interactions with other people and your relationships with other people, the more honest you are as being who you are and being unafraid to, to be that, the more positively people respond to you anyhow. Mm-hmm. When you kind of don't, you're not trying to project some sort of an image, some sort of an illusion of who you are as a person, and you can just be with another person, which is another reason why I absolutely love the Meisner work, because it gets to a point where it's just a couple of people really just being with each other, really being in the moment with each other. There was, you know, when I was doing my intensive study of it and I was in a class of about 30 people and there would be people who I hadn't worked with, maybe hadn't even really had a conversation with before. And between classes or something, sometimes we had assignments where we, you know, had to do a certain amount of time, like half an hour, an hour of repetition in between classes. So we would just grab somebody and, and it was such an amazing and profound thing for me where there would somebody, there would be somebody who I hadn't even had a conversation with. And I'd say, Hey, you want to do a repetition for half an hour? And they go, yeah, for sure. 
we would sit down and we would go for half an hour, we'd set a timer and we would do this thing. And by the end of it, you're giving each other a hug and you feel like you, you know them so, so well somehow, even if you don't know anything about their history. Mm -hmm. In fact, that's in some ways kind of the point. Mm -hmm. It's like, it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what your past is because what we're doing is being with each other in the moment and being completely okay with that and not knowing where this is going to go and that we're going to both come out the other side of it. Well, yeah, uh, that's so good. There's two things I want to say. One quick, uh, one was about the past and one was about, um, how, Oh, don't lose your train of thought here. (laughs) (laughs) It does Uh, happen. It does happen. But, uh, okay. Um, well, let me just talk about the past first. Um, so you're, you're not your past. You know, whatever has happened in your past has been a learning lesson. You know, you are not defined by your socioeconomic status, your race, your sex, or whatever. You are ultimately this conscious being. You know, th- this this thing that, that can change course at any moment. That can, and, and you know, there is a certain momentum of our past, you know, and a certain preparation that we've done with our past. So it's not that it counts for nothing. But if you made mistakes and you made errors and you did, it does not mean that you need to behave in any way apologetically to that. Or you don't have to behave as though you're better because of it either. You know, and both are are very um, ego-based ideas. You can take this moment right now and you can decide. You can just stop right now. And uh, I would say, just stop and go, who do I want to be today and who do I want to be for the rest of my life? And just don't even say the past because of this, because of whatever, because of, you know, I, I'm overweight, I'm, I'm ugly, I'm this, I'm that, whatever. Just who do you want to be right now and who do you want to be moving forward? You know what? Your past does not have to be your future. It does not have to be in front of you. And, you know, when I meet somebody and they start telling me about their past, I say, well, hold, hold on. Like, a lot of time I'll just say like, let's just talk about now. Let's talk about what we want. Let's talk about the future. Because I find that that's a much more truthful way to get to know them. Because what happens is if I let someone tell me their past, they actually feel that I can hold that against them. You know, they, now that I know that about them as though I have some data on them that I have, that I look at them that way. And I try to get people not to tell me that stuff, at least initially, because I want to look at them by who they want to be. Yeah. I don't want to look at you by who you think you had to be or who you think you are. And I, and I ask people questions like, you know, for example, before we started this podcast, even like, I mean, I've known you for a long time, but I ask people questions like, what are you most excited about? I don't want to, you know, I don't, that's what I want to know. I want to know what you care about, you know, because like we both came into this conversation. I remember when you showed up, you're like, I'm a little tired. I'm a little, whatever. The, the way this conversation has grown and evolved has been pretty exciting to me. Yeah. You know, but like, and I was a little bit tired when we showed up, but, but I was like, well, I don't want to come into this conversation that way. What are we excited about? That's why I wanted to get focused on that because once we changed our focus, who cares? It doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I didn't get a good sleep. It doesn't matter that certain things are going on in your life, my life, whatever. You know, and I want to share that with everybody else who's on the other end of this. It doesn't matter. Up till the point of this podcast, what had happened up until now, right yeah. now, you get to decide how do you want to move forward. Who are you right now and what's the direction that you want to go? Mm-hmm. I mean, most people have probably heard, it's like, live in the present. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Live in the present. In the pre- and that the present moment 
is the only mo is the only time that actually exists. And that's a bit of an esoteric, it's kind of hard to grasp that, but we're, I mean, this, this show is all about a discussion. I mean, we don't, we don't know anything. No. I mean, we've said that repeatedly. We don't know anything. These conversations are an exploration of it. We, you know, we're not necessarily saying that we know anything definitively. We don't necessarily know. We, we know some things that have achieved certain results, you know, on a somewhat consistent basis. But that does not mean that it's any kind of an ultimate truth. And that's part of what I love about these conversations is that, you know, we're exploring, we're discovering, like I discover things all the time in the mid, it, like mid sentence sometimes with you. Yeah. I, I start down something and it turns into something that I didn't know was going to. Yeah. Um, but what you're saying about past, I think that's terrific. My mentor, Larry Silverberg, I remember a few times with, with students you know, they would, they would bring up their past and, and he w is a wonderful teacher in that he's not any kind of a therapist and he doesn't want to be a therapist. And he would listen to people, but not let them drudge up too much from their past and their past experiences because that's not what he was interested in. And sometimes people would get into things like, oh yeah, you know, this is a problem. You know, it's been in, in other classes that's been brought to my attention and I always do this. You know, I, I always do this. And his response, I, I always loved it. He said, well, stop it. <laughs> it's like, there's no, <laughs> there's no <laughs> moment. There's no thing that's gonna come along and just like, take this away. It's you. Yeah. You decide to stop doing that. Yeah. If you're aware of it, then you can stop. It's your decision. And the rest is just a story that you're telling yourself. Mm. And that, that just like, just gave me chills again. Like just like reliving it in my mind. Just like, whoa. Like, yeah, it's, it's not real. It's only real in as much as you keep bringing it up. And as much as you're letting it live in your head, as long as you continue to tell yourself this story that you can or you cannot yes. do this thing. Well, you know, uh, the, man, you're stumbling on so much good stuff here. If you always say, I always do this, or I never do this, well, cut those words out. Like, you start <laughs> or stop. <laughs> you know, like, like, that's like, like, I mean, that's like totally... Like, that's like saying that some, some other thing runs the show for me and I have no ability to correct this course, so I always do it. Well, if you always do it, you're aware of it. So if you're aware of it, take self-actualization and stop it. If you stop it enough, you'll stop doing it forever. You know, I know that because I used to apologize all the time. A little Canadianism. Yeah. I used to say sorry for everything. <laughs> and my brother, I remember him calling me out and being like, why are you apologizing for that? I was like, I don't know. And then I just realized, and my dad said, my dad called me out on something. He said, you know, I was saying this a little bit when I was a teenager. It was a brief period in my life where I would say can't. And he said, don't say that word around me. He's like, that word, that's not in our vocabulary. And I would say, okay, well, well like, how do I stop? And he said, every time you're about to phrase a sentence... Like, I can't do this. Or, it's like, I don't even care if you say it the first time. Just stop yourself and rephrase it. So what I had to do when I was around him, if he said, 
if he said, I want you to come help me with the house tonight. And I say, oh, I can't. I got soccer practice. He goes, we'd stop and I'd go, okay, uh, that's not my priority right now. My priority is soccer practice. But I can come help you afterwards or whatever or not. But, or I won't. He, yeah. You know, he would, for, I will, he, he would I push won't. me to the place where I had to say, I won't. And I won't is very uncomfortable. I can't is easy because I don't know what it is about our society where we're allowed to say can't. But it's like, <laughs> no, obviously you can. Don't, like, that's nonsense. It's not, like, I could not go to soccer and I could help him. Like, let's say it was the last day that I would see him for the rest of my life. Do you think soccer would really matter that night? No. So I can do it. You know yeah. what I mean? So, anyway... Um, that's one thing. And I was going to talk about one thing, and I just want to bring this up just before we move too much onto this topic. Please, yes. stay on it. Is that we're talking about how we, we choose to do things because we're worried that other people, or we, we consider that other people will judge us or what they'll perceive of us or whatever. But the ego is also like another person. It's actually, the reason why it's not truthful is because it's like this other person watching you as you do what you do. Because your own ego watches you and goes, this is how I judge me, you know, through my ego, through my sense of who I think I'm supposed to be. So, and we all have this. So our ego, in a sense, is not, we know it's not our true self because our true self never judges us. It just goes, oh, you did that. Oh, you did this. Okay. You know, whereas your ego self goes, you really shouldn't have done that. Or yeah. you should do this. Or, and it has a lot of shoulds usually. Or yes. you can't or whatever. It, it's a very like controlling being it doesn't just try to control like give us control it controls us yes and shoulds shoulds and can'ts are just steeped in guilt and blame a hundred percent and they're and they are they're complete ego words they are absolute ego words when the ego actually thinks that like the can't especially is the ego sees saying can't putting yourself in a situation of being a victim because that's really what saying can't is it's saying oh i can't i'm i'm a victim to the to these circumstances or whatever's happening in my life i can't i can't there's just no way like it's it's not it's not possible right yeah. well that's not true but we say can't because we feel that it placates them somehow. It's like, oh, okay. Because if we say something like, I won't, where we say it's like, oh, that is... Because then now you're saying it's like, oh, well, I have power and I'm making a decision and I'm saying no to you. Because saying no to somebody might mean that they might not like us, might mean that they're going to judge us in some way, which is why we use words like can't, because we feel like it, 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 it breaks us away from that result. Hmm. It doesn't change anything because the, the result of that, of saying the can'ts, of saying the shoulds and the shouldn'ts is that we then actually carry a guilt with us well, by saying that. And guilt is, that's almost like an, an, another topic unto itself. Yes. Guilt is, can be massively destructive and it can be massively limiting. And also, if you experience guilt for long enough, it can eventually form into shame. And shame is even another level deeper. Like, guilt, in a sense, can be still okay to some degree. But shame is when you've gotten to a point where you... Like, to be ashamed, right, is like to say that I am somehow bad. 
you know, whereas guilt is like, I feel bad about this thing, but ashamed is like, I'm ashamed of who I am. But, you know, even if you did something where you really messed up and you hurt somebody or you did something that you didn't like about yourself, it doesn't make you a bad person. It means you did something that wasn't so great. But if you realize that, then, then you're in a sense a good person. Now, are you going to do something to correct that behavior or even better? You'll correct it and heal it in yourself. But like people who basically, um, and, and I know this may, might get off a little bit on the topic, but the ego wants us to feel guilt. It wants us to be ashamed. In a sense, it has more power over us. And in a weird way, it's this part of ourself that we want because we feel like it serves us, but at the same time, it hits us over the head with the with the same hammer it's trying to move us forward with. You know, it's like, um, you know, when, when we start to feel bad about ourselves because of this shame, we basically like, you know, like, um, and it's something that I've had to battle. And I think we all have to battle it to some degree, especially when you push yourself against adversity, especially when you push yourself against your dreams. But when you feel not good enough, you feel not lovable. That's kind of a sense of shame. You know, that's a sense of like, I'm not enough. You know what I mean? But in truth, we all are enough. You know, I know that like, when I used to hear this, I used to go, yeah, whatever. Like, okay, great. You know, like this is work like, harder, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not like, I mean, you know, and I don't expect people to believe this if they don't already, like at this point, but uh, you know, and maybe we can get into this topic another day, but if you feel ashamed of who you are, all I can say is that that's probably based on your past and it's probably based on some idea and some story you've created about who you are. And it's not real. You made it all up and you might've done those things, but you know what? Life continues on, you know, you can turn it all around today. It, just because you did it that way doesn't mean your life's over. doesn't mean you have to live that way. And, uh, I think shame is a great, like, it's one of these things that really holds us back. And if you feel guilty about things and you use your ego all the time to guide your life, you're going to continue to feel guilt and it's going to just reinforce the shame. So, you know, I think, uh, when you're connected to your true self, there are, there is no shame, you know, like I can admit, you know, that I've like that, you know, I've done things in my life that I look back at and I go like, for example, I was bullied a lot when I was in high school, you know, and there was this one kid and I bullied him this one day, you know, just, just an example. And I bullied him actually probably not for just one day, but for a couple weeks. And, and I, and I tried, I tried it out because I wanted to, you know, and I, I felt like I could pick on him a little bit. I was like really low on the totem pole, but I felt like I could pick on him a little bit and he took it. And you know what? After a couple weeks, I had this sense of like, I don't want to do this anymore. I just felt, but at first I felt really good about it, but then I felt really terrible, but probably because I knew what it was like to be picked on. Whereas other kids who maybe picked on someone else, maybe they didn't know so much. I don't know. But, but I look back at that and I'm embarrassed. In some ways I'm embarrassed that I did that and I, I'm ashamed. But I can look back and I go, am I a bad person because I did that? No. Did I hurt his feelings? Probably. You know what? If I could do something to correct that and if I could fix that, I would. But you know what? Am I going to live my life based on the fact that I did this thing that was not so great in my life and then go and, and dictate everything I do in the future and like try and make that right by beating myself up that doesn't do good for him it doesn't do good for me or anybody else no it doesn't serve anybody and I can relate to that I've been on both ends of bullying mm -hmm. I've I've bullied and I have been bullied and does that you know we're all human beings in in training as I've heard many times you know we're all human beings in training it's 
It's and exercising a little bit of compassion for yourself can go a long way. And I want to bring this a, a little bit back. Not that this conversation has not been fantastic, but you know, these things, these uh, these guilts and these things that we feel ashamed of these things that we haven't let go, these stories that we tell ourselves from our past experiences, you know, these are things that we keep alive. And that's, and that's on us. And we can actually choose to do something differently. And as creatives, as people who are in different artistic fields, you know, it's, it's imperative. It's imperative that you that you take a look at these things, take a look at these places where you feel where you're still carrying this stuff because, and you know, you might be able to find a way to use it in your work somehow, but you need to be aware of it mm -hmm. because your awareness of it is going, going to allow you to be able to let it go. And it's going to allow you to go deeper into what it is that you do. Holding on to it isn't serving you. Mm -hmm. It does not serve you. It's actually only holding you back. And again, it's all ego-based stuff. Mm -hmm. Ego is the one that, that blames you, that shames you, or, or does it to other people. You know, they say that, you know, it's like, it's all a projection. What you're doing, you know, if you're, if you're doing that to somebody else, you're doing it to yourself as right. well. Right. And if you can exercise a little bit of forgiveness to yourself for your, you know, the, the moments, your mediocre moments, as I like to call them, you know, people say, it's like, Oh, I was, you know, did a real piece of shit thing here. Or I was like, no, it was, it was a moment of, of being of mediocrity as a human <laughs> being. And that's okay because everybody suffers from moments of mediocrity mm -hmm. and continuing to, hold it against yourself and to hold it against other people doesn't serve anyone. Mm -hmm. It doesn't help anybody out, out at all. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, on a final note about this topic, if you find that there's something you feel guilty about or ashamed about that you're having trouble healing, go and figure out how to fix it. You know? Yeah. Like if you upset somebody, you know, uh, there's a landmark forum, for example, I did, right? And uh, there's this one point, uh, without ruining the course, but there's one point where they encourage you to make a call to someone who, I don't know, maybe you just want to tell them how you really feel or what you're, whatever. And uh, maybe you did something, I don't know, whatever. It's, I guess it's everyone has their own thing. But this one person that I wanted to call, I think it was actually three people, but I called and I just said, you know, I want to apologize because I did this thing and I don't even know if, it, if, if you were hurt by it but I've been thinking about it and I'm ashamed of this and I want you to know that I care and the reason that I did it at the time was this and blah, 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 and whatever. And, you know, in a sense, I think you can try and make it right. I, I don't really remember exactly, but it was life-changing for me because I went and I healed some wounds that I had. I went back and I just healed it. And, I, and you know what? There's something amazing, and Tony Robbins says this, I know because he talked about it in one of his CDs and, that I listened to way back when. But he said, call somebody that you, you know, that you lost touch with and just say to them, Hey, I've been thinking about you and I just want you to know, and it's cool. We don't have to talk after this. No problem. But I care about you. And I just want you to know that I was thinking about you and I, and I was thinking about this good time we had together. And I just wanted to, to say that that's it. And you know what? Not only will you feel good, 
Someone gets a call like that, hey, I was thinking about you, you mattered. You don't think that that in some way is gonna land with them, even if they tell you off, even if they say, yeah, screw you, blah, 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 whatever. The fact that you did that, the courage in that heals wounds inside of you. Yes. And so I think that sometimes, you know, you know, you don't go around running from your past. I think people who run from their past and try to say, oh, this never happened. It's not a big deal. That's just denial. But if you go, you know, I am, I, I, I'm going to be who I want to be today. Who does today, what does the person today do? You know, does the person today run from their feelings or do they, are they courageous and they embrace them? You know, like what does to, today do? And today, might still deal with their past, but they just don't define themselves by the way they behaved in the past. That was the last point I wanted to leave on that because I think the ego tries to keep you very, it's very um, almost like compartmental. You know, it's like you can, you can do this, but you can't do that. And you can do this, but if you do that, you can't do this. And it's like, there's all these stipulations, but it's like, no, you have absolute total freedom. You know, someone actually, I was talking with a good friend, he's, he's uh, you know, uh, he, he gave me some great advice and we were talking about a situation that I'm just dealing with. And he goes, do you know you can get out of it? And I went, and I thought about it for a second. I said, yeah, I do. I know I can. He goes, no, you don't. And I go, and I kind of stood back and I'm like, what do you mean? It's because you never experienced it before. You don't know. You believe you can, but you don't know. And he basically helped me see this like, it's good that you believe, but you don't know. Isn't that exciting though? Isn't that exciting that you're going to find out? And he said, your life is like a video game. This guy's very wise, but he said, your life's like a video game. Just think about it this way, but it's not programmed a certain way. It's actually, you get to program it. You get to decide, okay, the character is put in this position. What are they going to do? And you get to decide any option you want to deal with that. You know what? Whatever got the character that position, all their history, all that other stuff, that doesn't really matter. That's not going to necessarily define my choices with the character. I am going to decide as this character, what am I going to do? And he was like, that's your life right now. You're in this situation. Now decide in the infinite ways that you have to deal with this that are not restricted by your past. What are you going to do to deal with this situation to get over? And you don't know the best way or the right way or whatever, but what are you going to do? And that's what people want to watch. If that was made into a movie, that's what people want to watch. They want to watch, what are you going to do? And you know what? Isn't that art? Isn't that story? Isn't that this whole thing? I mean, it's like kind of beautiful, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, so. that's great. Yeah. <laughs> it was life. It was like a <laughs> life shifting moment for me. This just happened like, like a few days ago. <laughs> oh, fantastic. I love it. Keeping it present, keeping it relevant. Yeah. You know, as, yeah. as, you know, you know, anyone who's on the other end, like a lot of the stuff that, that we talk about are things that are going on in our lives think are our own, like new things that have been, that have been presented to us, new concepts, new, new shifts in our own perceptions that, you know, maybe we're just on the cusp of, but yeah. you know, we're exploring it. And that's, that's kind of what I love about what we do here Yeah, is that we're just like, I don't know what this is, but this is really connecting with me right now. So let's talk a little bit about it and see where this goes. I, you know, I would not be surprised, you know, and I, and I, I mean, I, and I hope it goes this way, but I plan to do many podcasts, you know, in the hundreds, um, if not more, but, um, it'll be interesting to see like one day, you know, we might look back at this and see how much we've grown and see how much like, Oh wow. I thought I knew all this back then. And, you know, cause you know, we can say like, 
you don't know anything. But there's still things that I kind of believe that I know. And it's not like I, uh, it's not like you just go, oh, I don't know anything at all. But there's certain things that you don't even know you think you know, you know. And so I think one day, I think what what's evolution of a person is, a growth is partly to just realize more and more that you don't know something, but that you are working with the best you have. I had this philosophy teacher, uh, I studied a lot of philosophy in college, and um, he said, he's a great teacher, but he said, you know, it's kind of philosophy and religion and spirituality and all this stuff. He's like, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like, I don't know anything for sure, but this is the best that I have to work with right now. It makes the most amount of sense to me based on everything that I've gathered. So I'm going to work with it. But if you come up with something better, if you come up with a philosophical argument, an idea that shifts my perspective, I'm willing to embrace that. I'm not going to hold on to what I think I know as make it right and make you wrong or anyone else wrong. I'm going to embrace whatever makes more sense. And then I'm going to and from that perspective, and I found this to be one of the best ways to do philosophy, was that by embracing this next thing, you go, well, I don't know if I have the answer with this either, but it makes more sense than the last thing I used to hang on to, or it's a little bit evolved. Yeah. And then you kind of expand, right? But if you're like, no, it is this way, it has to be this way, it's the way I've always believed it, well, you're, you're in trouble, you know, I think. Absolutely. Uh, there's a great, uh, well... It's it's an interesting read. It, it is a great read, actually. I I realize that more in retrospect. Uh, is um, the art of motorcycle maintenance by uh, Robert Persig, which is considered to be a bit of a modern classic. It is a very uh, it is a it is a mouthful. <laughs> it is a mouthful of a book. You know, be prepared for a good long chew on it. It's uh, it's not the easiest of reads to make, but there is this argument that's presented is very philosophical uh as well but there is this argument that's presented in that in what you're saying is that you know we don't really know anything you know we only what we know is only what is what we found to be the best so far what makes the most sense to us which is almost somewhat the most convenient for us right now we can grab onto this and say oh okay yes this is the best understanding that I have of this right now that, or that we have of this all right now. With that said, that can do incredible things based on an imperfect understanding. Yeah. Like, and so throughout the book, like he compares a lot of these concepts through, you know, motorcycles and maintaining a motorcycle and driving a motorcycle and saying like you know every component that makes up a bike is imperfect when you really break it down like if you got on a microscopic level or whatever you know nothing is no piston is perfectly is perfectly circular no whatever is is properly made um there was one thing that I, I heard one time. It was that if that like a if you can the Earth is so perfectly round that like it's like not even a like a cue ball on a pool table can accurately actually capture how round it is. There's more imperfections on a tiny little cue ball in terms of how perfectly round it is than in the Earth. Hmm. If you can imagine, like with all the mountains and peaks and whatever. Right. But 
there's extraordinary extraordinary capability. Does a cue ball still roll? Almost perfectly true on a table? Yeah. <laughs> does a motorcycle still fly down the highway? Yes, absolutely does. And it does so on something that is not entirely true. Hmm. You know, it's interesting, right? Like people can go, well, a cue ball is perfectly round, but if you get microscopic about it, that's where you start to see the mountain ridges. That's where you start to see the, you know, the, because if you think about the vast size of the earth, a mountain ridge in comparison to the vast size of the earth is like nothing. It's like a yeah. little tiny little speck bump, you know, but that even microscopic on a small ball. I mean, that's basically, yeah, that's what you're dealing with. You know, um, there's one thing I don't know. This delicious beer. What don't you know, Brandon? <laughs> this delicious beer, Evan. Oh, what yes. Is it? <laughs> this is a, um, I believe this is a rye lager. Yeah. A rye lager from uh, Big Rock Brewing. Mm. And I really dig this. Mm-hmm. I really dig this one, actually. I would get this one again. It's, they didn't have any special, you know, kind of crazy name for it. It was just, they, they called it a, a, a Rogan beer. Rogan? Uh, yeah, just the German, because the, you know, German peoples have invented all kinds of, <laughs> all kinds of beers. Uh, so yeah, it was just, uh, they just call it a rye beer. They yeah. didn't call it anything particular like a lager or an ale. It's just, uh, but I would say it's along the lines of a lager or ale. Uh, well, it looks like a, it looks like an ale. But oh yes, it, it's kind of it's has, dark. It, it's kind of cloudy. Too. It has the smoothness like an ale, but it kind of has like the almost like the bitterness of a lager. It's it's an interesting little blend. It's a, it's a very low bitterness smooth. on it. It's extraordinarily smooth. It's a little yeah. bit creamy, mm-hmm. a little bit sweet, but yeah, I really I like, like it. it. I I I like the it's 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 a great like um, I think it's like a it's a really good beer for, for someone who just kind of wants to kind of almost, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. Yeah. But it's, it, it's, I like it. I would almost say, because I'm noticing the cloudiness of it, it is very much like a wheat beer. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say that that's probably the closest, not an ale or a lager, but it's, it's like a rye wheat mm-hmm. kind of ale. Suits me. I like it. I, I definitely recommend this. It gives it, I give it both thumbs up. Um, okay, well, <clears throat> so the knowing, not knowing, the ego, the self, all this stuff we've talked about, and maybe, uh, I don't know, just how it all relates to art. I mean, I think the thing is, is, you know, we've gotten pretty philosophical, but I think this is the thing, is that this is the element of art that we all have to participate in. It doesn't matter if you're a musician or an actor or filmmaker or painter or whatever or an architect or just or a, a person sculptor. living life a you're chef be- if you're yeah a a uh, brewmaster yes indeed <laughs> but you're gonna have to deal with this you know we, we all have to deal with our sense of self we all have to deal with this um you know to some degree and i think that our i don't know i mean if you want to be if if you want to be truly great at something if you want to transcend i i do think you have to at some point remove the ego because the ego you know when i think about the ego i think about back to that analogy and that it, kind of the path you were talking about and i was talking about but it's that well-worn path you know the ego is this very well-worn path and 
you're going to get quite similar results every time you follow it. And usually pretty consistent. Every now and then there's going to be something in the way and it's going to throw everything off course. But um, for the most part, it's predictable, it's consistent, it's whatever. Um, but if you want life to be more than that, if you don't want to just hit the status quo, I think that's where you got to start looking at like, what's the path that I want to take? And, you know, like my friend was pointing out the one who shared about the video game analogy and all that, but he was saying like, you, he's like, you get to discover who you are right now. He's like, you're in this wonderful, wonderful place because right now you get to discover who you are. And the thing is, is that by I think when we achieve stuff or we get stuff or we pay our bills and we exist and we get through the day and the day is okay and then we watch our TV or we do whatever at the end of the day, we go to sleep, wake up, we do it again, you don't get a lot of self-experience. You know, you get you get a certain amount of comfort, you get a certain amount of like, okay, but when you experience yourself, there's going to be ups and downs, but you get to kind of find out more who you are. And I think, you know, like I had a... I had one of my clients ask me, and I don't know, it's probably going to, she goes, she goes, well, how do you, you know, how do you have all this wisdom? She's like, I'm older than you, and, you know, you have all this wisdom. I said, well, it's not, I don't know. But the thing is, all I can say is that I've lived some life. That's it. All I know is I've lived some life, and the reason why I lived some life was because I did things that were not what my parents told me to do. They're not what my teachers told me to do. They're what I wanted to do. And you know what? Were they right some of the times about what would have been the safer path? Absolutely. Should I have taken it? Do I still think I would have taken it? No, not a chance, you know, because it gave me some experience. And then, uh, you know, I've been learning to appreciate the fact and, and, and everybody has their own different value system, but I've been learning to appreciate the fact that the life experience I have, nobody can buy that. I have this thing from the life experience and people have probably had more life experience than me and have done crazier stuff than I have. But one thing I do know about myself is that the life experience I have is that I can't buy that. I can buy a new car. I can buy a new place. I can buy new clothes. I can, you know, work hard at something and get pretty good at it. But the life experience, like loving fully with all my heart, having a best friend, you know, going out there in the world and daring to do something where I invested all my money and then losing it, you know, doing things like that, you know, money can't buy that even if you take all your money and try and do it like there's a there's a there's a self-fullness that needs to be invested in it and that's where the life experience comes from and I think like when I my favorite actors are Meryl Streep, Marlon Brando, and James Dean. I mean those are some some of my top favorites let's just say but the things I like about them is not because they're all famous and everybody knows them I'm naming them off but they, to me, all resonate with people who had real, legitimate life experience. They had stuff where, like, Marlon Brando just blows me away because I think, like, that's a guy, like, and I've read his autobiographies and stuff like that, and I, that, to me, is a guy who went out there and tried some stuff, and he, he bared his soul into the world, and, like, and, um, and then I look at him in interviews and I look at the way he talks and, and I resonate with that. And when I, when I've seen people who have a life experience, they have that certain quality of like, there's something you've seen, like you went to war and you came back and you can see it. Cause it's like, it's, it's underneath, it's underneath the whole facade of the ego, you know? 
anyway, that's, that's kind of the thing. I think that as artists, we need to go, we need to live. You know, one of my first teachers, June B. Wild, and I know she got this from somewhere else. It was some book, but she would always refer to us. This uh, actress came into class. Was it her class? But it was a book from a book, right? And then said, I just want to, goes to this teacher, I just want to act, act, act. Can you teach me how to act? And the teacher turns and says, I want you to live, live, live. And I think that that stuck with me in a long, in a big way because like that's ultimately what we need to do. We need to live. You know, you want to live. Let, like art is a product of life. If you're tapped yes. out of your art, you've, you're 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 not living. That's it. Yes, and I mean in uh, in a more specific example of that in action, I remember an acting teacher saying to a uh, a student who was coming in with this preparation trying to live out this situation where they were so happy and whatever and they had invented this circumstance where they had just booked some big part and for whatever reason you know it 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 was all right but it never kind of it never really escaped all right you know it was all still felt very very contained very controlled very safe and the teacher said to them it's like well it's like your acting doesn't feel your acting. And that was like a revelation for me. I was like, I can't believe nobody told me this before. <laughs> but it's like, life fuels your acting. Like, and, and it's, you get in touch with that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, yes, this is your passion. This is what you love to do. But there's a whole other can of worms that's, that's that's behind all of that. That's my cat who's running around the studio. <laughs> who's always uh, who's usually always you know strutting around here. Yeah, he's just he's just calm. Comes up, you know, licks your hand. Masters of the present, cats are. Yeah, they are. Whether you uh, care for their aloofness or not, he's but... blowing, blowing off some steam. He's just he's you know. We've been chatting too too long, perhaps is yeah, what he uh, wants some what attention. So I guess he's giving us a single, a signal. Signal. Like, the si- the, the signal. And, uh, and the beer is doing its work once more at the end of the podcast. You know what? We don't edit these podcasts, and every now and then you're going to mess up a word. And you know what? Big deal. You know what? I actually do want to make mention of that. We don't edit these podcasts. No. Lots of people edit their podcasts. They'll cut little pieces out and this and that. You are getting start to finish the evolution of however this goes. Yeah. Which I think is part of its charm. Well, it's, 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 <laughs> yeah, and I think it's raw. And I think, you know what, the other thing too is that people can understand, like, and they can make fun of me for that or whatever, but ultimately that's how you project yourself. If you made that mistake, you'd be making fun of yourself. So <clears throat> if you look at it as like, that's human, people make mistakes, sometimes they say their words you know, they mispronounce, they do whatever, then you're actually dealing with yourself in a certain sense of kindness. And I think the way I look at it is like, I don't care. You know, I'm going to make make mistakes. Maybe this, maybe this podcast is tiny and very few people listen to it. Maybe millions listen to it. And I make mistakes. I'm okay with that. Because you know what, at the end of the day, what I want to, what I want to inspire in the world is that go out and make mistakes, but go out and do it. Because you know what? Life is not about Life is not about safe. And when, and you, and you know, you said, uh, your, your, your acting doesn't feel your acting, your life does. Your life is about going out and making mistakes. It's about going out and trying something. And you know what? Nine out of 10 times, you're going to probably mess it up. But 
you know, what, you know, what, like, what I could do is I could be like, you know, one day I'm going to have a podcast where I never mess up a word. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? But like, I was actually reading something funny enough about podcasts the other day and I was sharing it with you, but you're saying like, if you edit your podcasts all the time, basically you actually like, just think about what you're doing. You're basically, um, protecting yourself from making mistakes. And he's like, at a certain point, it's going to become so much work. And, and his, his point was, you won't grow. Because it's actually the mistakes that you're willing to make, the, the willingness to just say it and not have it be perfect, that is what's going to actually help you become a better speaker. And uh, actually really connected with that. I think that's true. Because at the end of the day, you know, I say the end of the day a lot. <laughs> but it is the end of the day, and I will say it again. <laughs> um, is that, yeah, I mean, make mistakes. Like, you know, whatever. Don't be so hard on yourself. Just, if you're doing a good thing, I think that, you know, I look past mistakes. I don't, I don't worry about that. I just go, what's the value I'm getting out of this? And if I'm getting good value, then, then it's good. Yeah. 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 And you don't know what someone might consider to be valuable. Mm -hmm. a second ago you miss miss said a word yeah and it it becomes a lesson it becomes a some sort of an insight of some kind and to for us to go back and to edit something like that out would be a disservice Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways the other thing is that if we edited in my opinion it would you know and i think that it would make us look as though we were perfect and we're not, you know, we're not perfect. And I think we've said this on, on many occasions, but we don't really know. Like, I mean, this, what we're sharing in these conversations we're having, we're discovering a lot as we go. We're bringing the best that we both have to the table, but I don't claim to know anything that I say. I mean, it's literally, I'm not saying that I don't know anything. I'm just saying it's the best that I have to work with right now. It could be truth it could not be but it's my honest truth i actually feel that when you share something it's your honest truth and i feel like we have two we're two people they're trying to bring something together and maybe it sparks other conversations and other people but you know what it's a whole lot of people coming together trying to trying to figure out that what is this art what is this thing this creativity this integrity we're trying to go for That's and why do it. we even do it yeah why do we even do it but you know you talk to artists it burns in their soul, you know, they, they like, I gotta do it. I have to do it, you know, and people come up with these amazing things, these paintings, these songs, these, these acting performances, these films, you know, these beers, you know, like people come, come up with this stuff because something inside them goes, I need to express myself. I need to do this. And like, you know what? That's what we're trying to figure out. And there, you know what? And, and it's one of those things I don't know if we'll ever fully answer and be like, we have the answer. But it's like one of those things that all these discussions combined, people can pick stuff up and they can kind of figure out, you know what? From this conversation, what I got was this. Just like when we leave a conversation, you know, and we're about to do in a minute here, it's like, what do you leave with this conversation? What, did, what hit you? Yeah. What hit me? And often it's the question. Yeah. It's the questions that are more important than the answers in so many cases. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess we'll, we'll leave it off Let's with, do it. uh, with yeah. our thoughts and I mean, man, we covered so much. <laughs> we covered some, some pretty interesting territory today in terms of t- 
taking on the ego, and I feel this is something that this is that is going to be ongoing. I agree. That we're going to revisit and you know share any new insights uh, that we have on it. Uh, you know, know thyself. You know, learn what this thing is. The things that are saying saying can't to you that you can't do things, the things that are saying or that you shouldn't do things or you should have done this, whatever. These are all impediments to you creating what you create, Mm -hmm. what burns inside you, what your true self is wanting you to do. Nothing else matters. That other voice is something that is just, it's scared. It's trying to protect something that does not really need to be protected. You know, if you want to protect yourself, do the thing that burns inside of you. Do that thing. Because if you don't do it... Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Literally nothing. nothing. There's what's nothing the, to say. Yeah, what's the point? There's nothing to say. If you don't go after the things that are important to you, What is your life but paying bills and getting by? And being safe and, and following the rules and doing what, what, you know, I don't know, some ridiculous thing. If anyone listens to this podcast, they're not listening to it because they want to be safe anymore. They're listening to it because they want, they have some type of artistic endeavor that is burning inside of them and they want to do it. And you know what? My last thought is I give you permission Go yes. do it. That's it. That's all I have to say. I give you permission to go against what society says. Go against what your parents say. Go against what your teachers say. Go against what your boss says. Go do this thing you want to do. Just get in a class. Just go do it. Just go paint. Yeah. Just go act. Just go write. Just go make some music. Do it. You know what? The, you're going to feel great. And you know what? Like, just pick up a guitar. You want to play guitar? Pick up a guitar. Start strumming. Learn some chords. You know what? I know about four or five chords on a guitar. I don't know much, but I was playing the other day in front of someone and they were like, whoa, did you just make that up? And I was like, what is it good? I don't know. But I was just li- like, you remember our talk about the emotion of chords? Yeah. I was just feeling it. That's it. I don't know anything about music. I'm like musically illiterate <laughs> mostly, but you know yeah. what? You're right. Sometimes you just got to pick it up and you got to go do it because you feel a certain thing. And sometimes that, that can come out in a certain way and it's, and it goes beyond, it speaks to something that's beyond, you know, what your, what your mind is telling you is something that is good or something that isn't. I mean, if, if musicians were like that, if we're constantly doing that, I'm sorry, we lost, we have no Jimi Hendrix. No, no. If we, if we, if we guide ourselves by our ego, we don't have great, these great musicians. We yeah. don't have it. And I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, just let your ego go. And you know what? If, if you want to dance, go, go do something courageous. Go dance in public. If you, you know, if you want to be an actor, like some people say, you know, oh, I'm like, like I'm scared to be an actor. I don't want to be in class. Like I'm going to be so bad. I started so late whatever. You know, it doesn't matter. Just go do it. You know what? Stop worrying about what other people think of you. God, just forget it. It's never too late. Like (laughs) there's a line. It's like, it's never too late to be what you might have been. No. And all of these, again, all of these can'ts, all of these things that you're putting up there is all just a bunch of ego garbage. Yeah. Just go and do what your heart is telling you to do. 
Yes. Brandon has given you permission. <laughs> so is Evan. And I'm giving you permission. And the thing is that you have always had permission and you always will have permission because everything is permitted. <laughs> yes, it's permitted. Okay, so we're going to do another podcast one day on humility. So who is, who's ever listened to this, when, it'll be in the future. <laughs> so I don't know which one it'll be. But the we are gonna, we're going to talk about humility future. because I think humility, humanness, humility is about taking, getting rid of that ego and just being yourself and being true and having that self-expression. Go listen to that one. Cause I'm sure we're going to start to uncover some more stuff. I don't know when it's coming. It's coming. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's what I think because I think right now, whatever's stopping you from doing what you really want to do or whatever you're listening to this podcast, just embrace humility. And, and if you don't know what that is, go look it up in the dictionary and then wait for our next podcast and bug us about it and we'll make it. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Till next time. Till next time. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.